0: You're listening to another great show from the Nod Network. Find more great content at nerdod.com. This is Whiskey and Words. I'm David Olson, and I'm joined today by a very special guest, my father, Timothy D. Olson, the writer extraordinaire. Morning, Dad. Well, good morning,
1: David. Thank you for the invitation.
0: My pleasure. So I have I have Tim. I call it. I'm gonna. So to avoid confusion, I'll refer to him as Tim throughout the recording. But he's my dad. Uh, So Tim's here. We're gonna talk about some of the writing. We're gonna talk about uh, where the writing has come from, his experience, what he's done, what he's inspired me to do. Uh, And while that we're doing that, we're gonna try a drop of Talisker 10-year-old Highland whiskey, which has got a story behind it as well. So first of all, welcome, Tim, Dad. I can't. I can't get used to that. Is it Tim or Dad? Uh, whichever you prefer david son cool all right we'll figure it out um so you have been you have been writing for much longer than i have when did you when did you start when did you get into it as something that you knew was a, a passion for you well i have to be honest the only thing that i've
1: ever wanted to do in my life as a career is write so i've never wanted to be a writer the idea of being a writer with quotation marks about it that doesn't interest me All I want to do is write. So I have written just a little bit of everything over the years. Um, And I think, well, my first published work was when I was 16. And that was, I was covering sports events for the Berlin Observer. So it was anything to get published. That was my first published work. But long before that, I was writing stories, making things up. It was what I wanted my life to be.
0: Cool. It sounds familiar. So you mentioned writing in Berlin. I mean, obviously I know, but everyone out there might not know that you have lived in a number of places around the world. Do you think that traveling the world as you did from such an early age helped you kind of uh, sort of build that, that kind of section of the brain which allowed you to create new worlds and, and kind of settings and things for, for your stories? I think definitely, yes. I
1: think my father was in the military, so he was... I think he was in for 28 years. So I spent my entire life from the time of, from when I was born practically, having a passport uh, and traveling the world. We lived in Berlin when it was a divided city. So we had to get flag orders to get out of the city. We, you know, it was a different world for a child. And I think that kind of experience, uh, and in particular, something that I haven't thought of for a long time, We lived in Italy for three years when I was younger. And we had no television for three years. And I think that, more than anything else, um, it inspired me to write, to create, to do things, because that that was our entertainment. So, yeah, I think the three years in Italy, when I was too young to enjoy the splendors of Rome or Venice or Florence, we lived right at the very bottom of what they call the heel because italy is shaped like a boot and we live right at the bottom of the the heel close to crete and i think having nothing to do inspired me to create
0: something of my own to do very cool well i mean i figure it's a good idea to start with a drink and then we can work on from there because something where i mentioned talisker before talisker 10 year old which you can get in most places it's pretty standard now but i think back to Being a kid and seeing it on my grandfather's shelf, on your dad's shelf. Uh, And you mentioned being in the Air Force and and traveling the world. And this is one of the things that I, I sort of have romanticized in my head that would have been kind of a constant. They would have had a bottle of this with him. Whether or not that was actually the case, of course, you might know better than I would. But
1: Well, I think also just before we have the drink, Talisco is also the first single malt that I ever tried. So that's what makes today special because it's, I don't drink a lot. Uh, I like to drink quality when I drink. So yeah, this was the very first one, and it has been my father's favorite for decades. So your recollections of seeing it, they're correct. They w- It would have been there. It is something that he likes as a treat, because living in the States or living around the world, this was not an inexpensive bottle of whiskey. So this was something special, mm. and I think it still is.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: let's pour some now. What was like that sound. I do like the sound of the cork coming out. I was thinking that as you did it. Thank you. Oh, just picking up the smell. Cheers. Cheers. Whoa, that is that is something nice i've always loved that kind of highland scotch
0: fire that you get
1: oh i've always kind of i've always said that it's like if you drink it if you don't sip it which to me is the correct way to drink it to savor it to enjoy it if you drink this quickly it just burns its way down so <laughs> it
0: punishes you for enjoying it does it. yeah and it is it's something to see that the fact that i can get that most places i take that for granted i think and of course i have my own bottle because of that but yeah it would have been the first one i ever tried because i'm sure he probably snuck me a drop one christmas when i was very young oh i'm sure Uh, yeah at the time i don't think i quite appreciated it the way i would now (laughs) so so you have been writing for a a number of years and i know that you have written a number of different kinds of things and one of the things that always interested me more than anything else is your work within role-playing games and i know that you're not always someone who's been big on playing those games, but you've created a number of different worlds for those games to be set in. Uh, So things like um, uh, Starfleet Battles Mm -hmm. and the various expansions that came with that, uh, the Raven series, uh, even down to Doctor Who and those kind of things, those kind of franchises. So out of writing like that, how was it, obviously being a, a fan of different fandoms across the years, how did that inspire you to sort of create worlds for games that you might never have actually got to play?
1: Well, I think I worked for Games Workshop for 11 years. And during that time, I started to paint figures. I started, I fell in love with the world, but I was never that big, that much of a fan of actually playing the games. I was always much more a fan of reading the games. So when a new Warhammer supplement would come out, or a 40k supplement would come out, the first thing I would do would not be to read the rules, but would be to read the fiction. I would read the world that they had created, the stories, uh, read the back of the boxes. And it was one of those things, the whole time I was working for Games Workshop, I was thinking I'd really like to write for them, but it never happened. So 1991, and this is quite a, it's a special year for me. Because it was the year I was offered a job with Task Force Games as head writer. So for the first time in my life, something I had worked on for so long was actually was was coming to fruition. And I was offered a job writing for them to create the role-playing game for the Starfleet Battles tabletop game. So because Starfleet Battles is a... It's licensed by Paramount, but it's not Star Trek, if you understand what I mean. Hmm. The role-playing game they wanted to do was the same type of thing. So I came up with a game called Prime Directive, but I couldn't write the rules for it. So I called a friend of mine, a guy called Mark Costello, uh, who, like me, had always wanted to write. He'd written role-playing supplements. I'm sure he had submitted RuneQuest things to places. And we sat down together, it took us almost nine months, but we created Prime Directive, which was set in a Star Trek universe, but it was each ship had a prime team, like the SEAL team that would go and have adventures. Um, so I wrote all of the background, the stories, the introduction stories. One of my signatures is if I write something, it'll always start with like, 1500-2000 word story to introduce the reader to what's going to happen and so we worked together Prime Directive came out sold 10,000 copies and that's in 1991 um, I think we did 5 supplements for it and it was the same plan with each one where I would write the fiction and and it even got to the point where I would write the little blurbs on the back of the books and the advertising material so and that was a great five years
0: i think that my favorite out of those uh was always starfire so i remember i just loved the name and i think that i don't know if it was in that book or in that uh within that supplement where you introduced uh, the saratoga as a ship and i just i've for some reason that name years down the line inspired me to put something into a story of mine using that same sort of that same idea and same setup from there and i've used it in Loads of things since, so well. I had a great time with Starfire because
1: Starfire was based on a series of books by David Weber. Now, David Weber is incredibly successful science fiction writer, um, and Starfire was like his little baby. So, but he didn't have the time to write um, game products for it. So, I think one of the things I had a lot of friends in the gaming world in the states. And we used to have fun putting each other in our products. So I would, a friend of mine named Hal Mangold, um, I would always put him in as one of the bad guys in a product I was, I was doing. And he would return the favor. And one of the stories I wrote for one of the Starfire supplements, um, all of the characters in it were named after Negro League baseball players. From like the 1930s 40s and 50s so if you knew anything about negro baseball in the in the america you'd recognize the games like josh gibson and satchel page but nobody else would so that was just that was fun um yeah i think i can honestly say to me writing has always been fun it's a bit like you i know that you and i are very much alike is we can sit down and write 2,000 words about something without stopping. Just, you you just get into that zone.
0: Sometimes, sometimes. Oh, not I'm, all the time, for sure, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm much more comfortable writing about 200 words and then stopping and thinking, what am I doing? Uh, <laughs> Help. So with that, I mean, obviously that had a, a big following with fans of Star Trek in itself, and obviously that, the, the the merger of Star Trek and role play in it as well. But I know you've also wrote for uh, Doctor Who franchise. Of games. That's right. When I was working for Harlequin Miniatures in
1: Nottingham, back in the mid-90s, they had the the license from the BBC to do the Doctor Who tabletop game. Hmm. Uh, and again, they came to me and said, we've got the game. Everybody knows the history. Can you just write us some fiction? So can you take um, unit, can you take the characters from this Doctor Who Uh, it was set in the uh, Tom Baker period for this for the game they were doing so of course the people who play it know the history so I just had to do some Doctor Who fiction which was really really enjoyable so and again I put all my friends in there (laughs) so when they're talking about unit commanders or different characters or the new assistant it would be
0: people I knew in the gaming industry that was that was fun I well, quite like that as a challenge, the idea of taking a, an established world like that, but writing fiction that would fit within it without changing any of the history or affecting any of the established kind of canon and just putting something new in yeah. there.
1: And I think to be, it's anything with writing, you want something to be new. You want, um, I was telling you earlier about carrying a pad with me, hmm. which for all the writers out there listening, you have to carry a pad with you. Because we all have phones, we've all got our laptops or tablets with us, but there's nothing quite like being able to just think, that would be a great opening line, and just writing it down. So as much as I use the tablet and the computer for the finished writing, I do everything longhand first, just because that's the way I'm most comfortable. And I
0: can write longhand very quickly, whereas I type with two fingers. (laughs) I think I've gone the opposite way around. I can type now faster and everything i write looks like chicken scratch it's <laughs> no oh, good so on that on the writing for games that you might not have played yourself but putting the world in behind the scenes were there ever any times when obviously i, I only knew mark costello way back in the day when i was very young were there any times when there were any sort of, sort of conflicts with that with the rules he would write and the stories that you would write where something wouldn't mesh because he's coming from very different sides someone's doing the mechanics and someone's doing a story is there any point where that wouldn't work or would it always just kind of would they be separate worlds to kind of slot together?
1: Well, with Mark Costello it always worked. That was that was a dream partnership. Hmm. I have had problems in that I was once reading a Doctor Who supplement that was coming out because before I wrote the fiction, I always read the supplement so I could see what the what the heart of the product was, hmm. what they were looking for. And through the course of the rules, they were continually changing from millimeters to inches. So they would say when you do this it it affects a twenty five millimeter radius. And then the movement was one inch per and I I'd had quite a long discussion with the designer who insisted that it stayed the way it was because that's the way he had created it. So yeah, that was a time because I tended not to get involved with the I was involved in the writing and the layout. Hmm. As far as the rules, that was left to be the more technical
0: people. I suppose it's quite a cool transference of the skill because effectively what you were using were your proofreading skills as a writer to go through the rules and to spot an error, which if you were sort of neck deep in game mechanics, you might not have realized that that would have been a, a challenging thing swapping between measurements like that. But as an experience from proofreading, you'd be looking through going, hang on, that doesn't match that thing. It is always the most difficult thing in writing because
1: we all write on our own. Um, We're either in a room on our own or we're on the train. We write something. We think it is unbelievably good. And you have to give it to people to read Hmm. because you get so connected to your work that, and I'm not talking about simple mistakes like writing something at the beginning that's contradicted. There are times when you've written something and it's not good. So I don't throw anything away. I have copies of everything I've ever written and everything I've ever had published. And I know that when I look at some of the earlier stuff, especially the sports reporting, that was some pretty poor writing. (laughs) But as you get older, you realize you have to have people around you who will be honest with you. Uh, And what you're looking for, you're not looking for a, yeah, that's good. Or, well, yeah, that's okay. You're looking for... I didn't understand the motivation of that character. Can you explain mm. it? So that you work it out so that when the readers who are paying you money for something, they don't get hit with that. Yeah. You can't be too delicate with your own writing. You can't, you can't believe that you're perfect. You have to know that others will make you perfect rather than being perfect on your own.
0: I think that's a great message. I think that's something I've, I've discussed before. Uh, In the show about the the importance of feedback and you don't have to use every piece of feedback you ever get But you can guarantee that you'll get one at some point which will change how you work on something or an idea or how you uh, how you create something and I think that I think back to a, a piece of work I did years and years ago, which was originally entitled good news bad tidings but by the end of the process of feedback, it was called My Untitled Mediocre Project. <laughs> because the feedback I got was, I kind of like it, but it's it's not good. It's just okay. And I was like, and reading it back, I was like, yeah, that's, that's a fair assessment. I think I'll go back. And I've kept it because I, in my head, I'll do something with it eventually. Because I think I like three or four lines out of it that I want to use. So just out of fear of losing those, I've kept the entire thing. Well, no, is... I mean, writers in this audience know that you can get
1: a hundred words of praise, but you get one that's negative and it stops you in your tracks almost as much as somebody saying it's okay. Hmm. So I'll give you an example of that um, on a s- slight tangent. I won't dwell on this, but it's to talk about feedback yeah. is I paint Nerf guns and I do a steampunk feel to them. And post them online and people come back and and say they like them or whatever. And I did one a few months ago, which I was really pleased with. And I got uh, several hundred likes on this Steampunk Tendencies page. But I had one guy who came on uh, and he criticized the work. And that was all I could think about. So I ignored the 600 goods got angry with the criticism until i read it again and thought you know he's probably right that the hitting the like button sometimes can just be saying that's okay if you feel enough to actually criticize it and say are you maybe you use this color too much or maybe you haven't thought about the layout that helps you rather than hurts you because yeah. he may be
0: wrong but it stops and makes you look at your work yeah yeah, and then it causes you to look for it, and you might find something completely different to what they've said, but you've had that extra look, and that's true. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's 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 a really good point, actually. The idea that someone's passive kind of general positive kind of praise, it could actually not be as positive as you think. It's just an acknowledgement more than anything else, and that's kind of the worry that it could put into your mind. It could be. Yeah. It could be that it's okay. Mm. So, yeah. So you, you mentioned uh, steampunk as a genre. And I know that through work that you have done uh, separately, you've kind of got into that field and you've done with, with the, the design and I know you do things online as uh, the Detective, and you've done events and things as such with that. That's true. And I know that you're now working on uh, a mosaic novel. And I say I know that you're working on it because I'm working on it too. So it sounds like a secret that I've dug up somewhere, but I just know about it. Um, and it's quite cool that you've, you've brought a group of people together, haven't you, from different parts of the world based on an idea that you had and you thought, I can I can do this for people, and it's going to be cool.
1: Well, shall I tell you the story of that? Yeah, please. Because for many years I've been writing a fantasy novel, and I've fallen into the 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 problem that a lot of us have, which is you rewrite chapter one so many times you never get to chapter two, or well, when you finally get to chapter two, you then say, well, I'm not going to change chapter one because it's perfect, and you make no progression. So I had notes and pieces of paper torn off of newspapers that I just I had endless notes endless ideas for this novel and what I thought was quite a cracker of an opening um, prologue for it and as each year passed and I changed the copyright date on my copy on the computer I had made friends with a lot of people on different steampunk sites and I had an idea inspired by George R. R. Martin's Wildcard series where there were several different authors who, who turned out when they started were part of his um, gaming group down in, I think it was Phoenix, Arizona, um, where everyone wrote a chapter and then you sent it to the next person, they wrote a chapter and it continued in that way. So I thought, I wonder if I could do that with what I have so far. With what was called at the time Surfs Up, because it was about, it was a fantasy novel, but there were modern day. I won't bore you with that. You can buy the novel when it comes out. But I had an idea of what about I threw it out to the steampunk audience on Facebook and see if I can find writers who'd be interested in joining me in this quest to complete this novel and get it out there. Because that audience is huge, isn't it? It's a huge and- community. Well, I mean, there are groups there that have 150,000 members. Wow. Um, One of the groups that I have a lot of respect for called Steampunk Tendencies. Yeah, I think it's 143,000 members. Wow. So I wrote a little blurb and I sent it out and I said, this is my idea. Um, I would like to write this novel teamed up with a group of like-minded people. So it would be like a writing group, because I know, David, you're a member of a a writing group in Manchester. Mm -hmm. Well, this would be a virtual writing group. And so I asked people to submit their samples of their work, tell me why they wanted to be interested in this. And I got about 15 people who responded. And of that 15, through trial and error and through working on the words that we'd received we dropped down to a group of 8 and uh i think we're now 30,000 words in yeah um we are six chapters maybe seven to, it's flowing and a lot of that is from having the input we have writers from mexico from the ukraine from canada from england america it is such a diverse group of people that it's really helping the book and there was no nepotism involved in asking you to join because well, although I think you... say that louder into the microphone for me yeah, okay <laughs> <laughs> and please sign this document um no because something i'll always be proud of you is that your writing has developed um and is very different than mine and is such a high quality that i thought you would benefit this and this is absolutely true well, thank you um so yeah, we have a group now who, back and forth on Facebook, it is, I speak to them more on Facebook
0: than I ever posted updates, hmm. and that's enjoyable. I think it's amazing the power of, of a platform like Facebook to allow you to do that. You know, you figure, of all those people, you know, you've met a couple of them in real life, and the rest of them, you know, myself included, we've never seen, you know, we've never actually spoken to apart from in-text on a website, but together we can put together a novel of, of quite a, what I think is quite an ambitious scope. You know, quite a, it's it's an idea I don't think I've ever seen before, which is what makes it so exciting. Yeah,
1: and, and having something that's new yeah. will help you to succeed, I think. So, and this was a different kind of idea. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the, the writers who are working with us, um, again, because it's steampunk, I came up with the, nifty title the cog collective nice so it is a group that when this gets published and we start getting royalties it'll all be shared equally so it is a i think it's a great idea and it if you i had to give you an example i had a situation where i had writer's block and i couldn't finish the chapter i was working on and i was able to phone you and just say david can you finish this chapter off because i can't I can't finish it at the moment, and you did. And um, a friend of ours, Doug Bruce, who's editing this for us as we write it, said it was almost impossible to differentiate the two styles. Which, And he didn't have to edit David's work for grammar or for punctuation or anything, so it made his job easier. Very, so that was great. Very
0: pleased with that. Very pleased with that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's quite cool. I think that, because knowing, as I do, the, the idea where it originally came from, and how it's kind of adapted and how it's, uh, evolved into this, uh, very diff same idea, very different kind of setting and genre. I think it's quite nice to see the, the strength of the idea that it managed to, to survive that kind of transition and it wasn't suddenly lost in something else. It's still very much, you know, the core of that idea that you had is very clear within it. I think that it will carry it through very well. And I know it's a bit, uh, it's tricky to say that as I'm one of the people working on it, it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's, it's praise in both directions, which is maybe a little bit uh, ahead of my game. But. Well, no, no, but it's justified
1: though. And the exci- to be honest, the excitement that I hear, well, I, I don't hear, but I read in the responses I get from the team, it's these guys, and I say guys, it is it is mostly men. I think we have two women working on the project. If we do a second one, I'd like to bump that up and get it to be 50-50. Yeah. That's what I would like. It's just this situation... Some of the women who submitted um, weren't able to stick with it for whatever reason. So next time we'll try and get more of a mix. But uh, yeah, they are excited about this. So
0: that's good news. I think the commitment as well, it's it's a tricky one because there's a bit of pressure to it. You know, when you're writing for yourself, it's very easy to be like, well, I'll, I'll finish that next week or the week after or whatever. Whereas with this, you know, when I was writing my section, I knew full well that it was waiting to go to somebody else. And they couldn't really get underway until I'd finished mine. So it put that pressure, which I, I wouldn't have had otherwise, which allowed me to, you know, I, I sat down one day and I wrote a sort of a, a five or 6,000 word chapter, you know, rough first draft, but I wrote it in a day. And from for someone who I predominantly write stories of sort of 700 to 1,000 words, to write something that significant in a day because I had that pressure knowing that someone was waiting to get that. And luckily, I don't think it, it compromised the work I did, but it spurred me on in a way that, I hadn't really experienced before so yeah because we
1: have the two final authors in the cog collective are still waiting to to write their chapters Hmm. because if you think when we first sent this out everyone read my prologue and then just went on and then the next person had two chapters to read then the next person had three chapters to read so each time it took a little bit longer but uh yeah it's looking like this summer this project will, will come to fruition and when, oh, sorry, I just, I use that word twice, fruition. You should probably edit that out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, or don't <laughs> edit it, whichever you like. It's a good word. I like that yeah, word. Well, it's your show. Thanks. Um, when the show comes to fruition, you'll be like, oh, I just said it three oh, times. Oh, come on. I don't know what's going on. Um, but yeah, and we talk about feedback from people uh, and how important it is. I received feedback from the other authors about things that I had written, including, and I'm speaking to the audience now rather than to David, but I received criticism from David about something I'd written, which I think he was nervous about criticizing my work. But I took it and I changed it because I realized that what he had said was correct. So, yeah, listen to feedback. It's not
0: always right, but when it is right, it'll improve your work. So, I was a bit nervous, I'll be yeah. honest <laughs> so, I mean this is uh this is a, a novel, an idea which you've you've had brewing for a while, which is now can, can it brew and then bear fruit? I think I did a bit of a mixed metaphor. Um sorry, the metaphor didn't quite come to fruition. Oh uh, 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 you mentioned about writing for obviously with uh Prime Directive being Star Trek based and Doctor Who being um uh, Doctor Who, obviously. There's a a thing there about writing in a particular fandom and the, the sort of reach that can have for people who are uh, sort of huge into that particular thing like steampunk like science fiction like fantasy so do you think that gives a a writer a a, a kind of uh power to to tell a story which you know is it's only necessarily going to be a big deal for a few people but you know the people who get to that story and read that through it can have quite an effect on them it's quite a it's quite a a, a powerful thing, isn't
1: it? Oh, no, I, th- I think so. I think I've been involved in a lot of different fandoms through the years. So I've been involved in Star Trek fandom and gaming fandom and steampunk and science fiction and you name it, I've been involved in some way. And the thing about fandom is, to me, every fandom is exactly the same because what you're delivering to someone... Is the opportunity to be to share something with people who like the same thing that you like, right? So you may be writing for a hundred people who will find what you're writing incredibly moving and exciting and they love it, right? But I take that as seriously as if I was writing for something more mainstream, right? Because it, I don't know, I know that you, David, have been to conventions, you know what conventions are like, yeah. It is that feeling. It's a bit like being in a writing group. Because you go to a writing group and you share with each other what you've written that week. You're all, you are all have your little quirks, like some people will only write with a number two pencil and legal pads. And someone will only write on this. We all have a little quirks. But we all share a love of, of writing. It's the same thing with fandom, is that any kind of fandom... You know, whether it's Star Trek or Doctor Who, any of it. It's you're with a group of people who all share a love for the same thing. So you feel like it's it is kind of like your your geekdom family, right? Where you can go and feel comfortable. So writing for 10 people or writing for a thousand people, it should always be the same. You should always take it with the same level of seriousness, I think. So when you bring your work to fruition... (laughs) <laughs> yeah it is a strange thing Yeah, it is a strange thing and again I say it's so that we take it for granted the gift that we have uh, and I'm not just blowing my own horn and saying how special I am but anybody who can write put together a story uh, put together an article that's a gift that we have
0: that not everybody shares so What's been your preferred sort of uh, writing medium? Because I know you've say you've written articles, you've written short pieces to go in amongst a bigger story. Uh, working on a novel, uh, I don't think you've ever turned your hand to poetry that I know of, unless you have. And you, I have, but I'm hidden. not going to ever show anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is your? I mean, which way do you prefer to write? Do you like to, to knock out a small story in its entirety? Do you like working on the bigger projects? What do you think? I've got an easy answer for that. Hmm. It's seeing it published. Yeah. So to be honest, it
1: doesn't... And you think about my published work, right? It doesn't matter whether it's a, an article about a sports team in Bremerhaven or whether it's the... In fact, one, a little quick cool story is when, um, when the Aliens film came out, one of my friends in the gaming industry had the license to create the game but also to create the figures, so for that, I was able to paint the figures for Newt and Ridley and Hudson, all the characters in Alias. Yeah, I remember that. But I was also able to write the box cover um, blurbs. So again, 50 words, 60 words. It was just something to describe in a fictional base. Because my um, box facts would never say, this box contains 12 soldiers. It would always be, they approached the door quietly. <laughs> You know, it was always a story rather than a blurb. So, yeah, my favorite medium is published. So anything as long as I just I love to write putting pen to paper uh, is. I don't know, it's it's what I've always wanted to do. It's what I'm happiest doing. Um, and I work for a famous coffee company at the moment, um, and I've written several articles for their in-house magazines. Did I get paid for them? No, but I still had my name uh, out there. Yeah. So, and I think that's what everyone should think about is get published, get something in. If you're not currently published, get something published in. You know, write article for a newspaper or for a magazine, or try and do something so you can start to feel that because nothing feels quite like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, we were discussing uh, the other day regarding this novel and regarding sort of my short stories collection and things and, and the the power of things like Amazon self-publishing. You know, the idea that I didn't go through the usual channels that you would do to get a book published being a, a short story collection, it's a very different process anyway. But, you know, I, I submitted that information. I did all my own structuring and formatting and, and editing and things, put it online, and I've got a, a physical copy in my hand. You know, it's mine. I did this. And I think getting that out into the world is quite a nice, it's a feeling of accomplishment that you don't it's kind of hard to replicate, you know, to, to see it in real life and to hold it in your hands. No, I agree. And I think whether that's whether that's in a newspaper or uh, even on, even online, even things that aren't physical, but you can see it there and with your details on it and your name on it and the work that you put into it, I think that's quite a, an incredible thing. This is why I was talking about using a, a, um, people using pen names and how I was tempted to because I don't feel that my name is particularly interesting to, to see on a page. But then again, if I wrote under a pen name, and the one I kind of floated for a while was edit of John Lazarus. Because so I thought, who's not going to read a story by John Lazarus, right? Uh, but I thought I would see this story and all it would take would be someone to say, oh, did you read that book by, by John Lazarus? It was great. And I'd be like, well, actually, I wrote that. And he'd be like, well, no, you didn't. Hmm. Like, it yeah, was, I did and like, It was Mr. Lazarus. Yeah, why did not you put your name on it then? And I was like, damn, you're right. Why didn't I put my name on it? So I think that's why, yeah, seeing seeing your name on someone like that is just such a cool feeling, isn't it? Yeah, so. I would never use a pen name.
1: Hmm. Because, and it's not conceit. It it is that, well, I'll tell you quite a sweet story, is when I wrote Prime Directive, which was 91, and then I wrote, like I said, we wrote a few um, supplements to it, uh, I got an invitation to go to a convention in uh, Vermont, and that was 1,800 miles away from where I was living and the convention organizers paid for me to fly up there and my hotel and in exchange all they wanted was for me to sign copies of the books that i'd done and i thought if you go all that way to just sign copies and hand you know who's this to bob did you like it that you know i thought why don't i run the game so now it's like i said although I didn't write the game mechanics, I knew them inside and out from the, you know, the months we had worked on it. So I did a prime directive game. I said I said to the guy, I said, Chris, put it in the uh, program. We'll do Saturday night at like seven o'clock. And so we were playing this game and it got to about 11 o'clock. And for those of you who've ever been to any conventions of any type, items tend to be in slots. So it'll be a two-hour slot while this writer does this or a two-hour slot where this artist does that. And so we came to the end of my slot, but we weren't finished. So I said, well, we've got two choices. We can either go get something to eat and then come back and play some more, or we can just finish. And everyone just looked and They went, well, can we just go get something to eat and come back and finish? <laughs> And a little girl, when I say little, she was probably 13. um, She said, you know, I only came to this convention so I could meet you. And that was the first... That actually makes me tear up a bit. That was the first time anyone had ever said to me, you are an author. You know, because it was somebody i had never met before. But she had come to the convention to meet me because prime director had moved her. So it's a science fiction role-playing game you don't expect it to move people but i think that's what we need to think about with everything you write is never underestimate the impact you might have on somebody with what you've written so take it seriously it's a gift you know not everybody can do what we do so take advantage of that gift and do something special
0: i think that's a that's an, an incredible message Right, well i want to say a huge thank you to my dad the author timothy d olsen yeah thank you for for being on the show today it has really definitely it. been my pleasure today and a huge thank you to talisker for all of the uh memories of it and my enjoyment of it uh just thinking about seeing it on the shelf next to my grandfather's chair and now having a bottle here is still quite a thing for me so thank you for that i want to say thank you to everyone out there for listening Uh, This is the end of our first series of Whiskey and Words. So thank you for being with us through these episodes. I do hope you'll join us all again next time. Uh, So have a great time. Thank you.